I would say that it's gotten worse. Tonight, hospital staffing crisis. The BC emergency room down to just five nurses. Plus, election eve, multiple leaders making multiple stops in BC and the ridings to watch tomorrow also. But we really need this, this green space back. Hounding the city, the calls for a Vancouver park to go to the dogs. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us tonight. With COVID cases surging in Northern Health amid lagging vaccination rates, the hospital in the second largest community north of Kamloops is dealing with a dire staffing shortage. Kristen Robinson has more on what's ailing the ER in Fort St. John and why the mayor says nothing has changed since the crisis was identified three years ago. With a population of more than 21,000, Fort St. John is the largest city in northeastern B.C. It's hospitals serving the wider Peace River North region lacking critical staff. Northern Health says there are five permanent registered nurses staffing the ER, which should run on 20 nursing positions. In some cases, there may be just one nurse available on a given shift. It's really tough. It's not sustainable. But nothing new for the city's mayor. In 2018, B.C.'s Auditor General found Northern Health failed to meet its requirements for recruiting nurses, leading to diminished health care service. At the time, the authority was 121 registered nurses short of what was needed, with one quarter of the available positions unfilled. I would say that it's gotten worse. Exhausted health care workers also facing abuse from the public during the pandemic. Lori Ackerman describes a Zoom call with nurses earlier this year. Some of them were in absolute tears. They were brokenhearted. They, they, they took their nursing training to provide that um, that care to the community, and they just need support. BC's health ministry providing up to $6.38 million to help recruit health workers to the north. It has everything that we actually need for our family. Including $3 million on a rural retention program. It's a band-aid. I think that an investment in appropriate and adequate health care services needs to be made. Northern Health, meantime, averaging 98 cases per day with the highest COVID positivity rate in B.C. at 21 percent and the lowest vaccination rate at just under 75 percent. Fort St. John's double vaccinated mayor urging everyone to do their part to ease the burden on the health care system. If we don't get through this COVID, our health care could crumble. We could be doing a postmortem on Northern Health. And I would lay that at the feet of those who have decided that this vaccine is not necessary. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The province is considering so-called bubble zones and injunctions after anti-vaccine protesters targeted schools in B.C.'s interior. All schools in District 83, which includes the North Okanagan and Shuswap regions, will be on hold and secure starting tomorrow. The move comes after COVID demonstrators entered three Salmon Arm schools on Friday, serving what they called a notice of vaccine liability to principals. Bubble zones, which create a no-protest area around a service or facility, were first legislated in B.C. in 1995 to protect abortion clinics after protests and the shooting of a doctor. This was done was to sort of protect um, folks who are 
accessing these services, be, be able to access them safely, not be impeded um, by protesters, but also allow protesters to be able to express their perspective. But I think that they can provide a model for thinking about, um, you know, what is a way that balances people's um, protected right to express themselves and protest um, against the, the very important rights that people have to be able to access health care. In a statement, Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside says it is completely unacceptable for people to protest outside of schools, to speak with other people's children, and to undermine the decisions they and their families have made regarding the vaccine. Schools are vital for the educational, emotional, and social well-being of students. If people are unhappy about government policies, they should focus their dissatisfaction on the government, not at hospitals, and not at schools. Now to Decision Canada, and tomorrow, millions of Canadians will finally have their say. The candidates, of course, have been selling their agendas for the past 36 days, all in the hope of capturing your vote. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau doing a marathon sprint on the final campaign day, making in-person and virtual appearances in six provinces, including here in B.C. He pitched the idea that the only party that can stop the Conservatives from forming government is his. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh concentrating his efforts here in Metro Vancouver with seven stops in the region today. He visited ridings held by Liberals and Conservatives that New Democrats hope to swing orange. Despite opinion polls showing another minority government seems likely, Singh says he is still running to be Prime Minister. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole spent his final day campaigning for votes in the greater Toronto area. He told his supporters that choosing smaller parties like the People's Party under former Conservative MP Maxime Bernier will only split the vote and possibly give the Liberals a victory. Green Party leader Annamie Paul returned to Toronto after a quick trip to Vancouver Island Saturday. Paul has criticized other parties' plans to deal with the climate crisis as smoke and mirrors and too little too late. The Greens are not running a full slate this election with only 228 candidates running out of 338 ridings. All that campaigning takes us to the fight for your vote here in B.C. With projections of a possible minority government, all eyes will be on the West Coast when the polls close at 7 Monday night. Global's Paul Johnson now with that part of the story. How did you get me to go along with that? A show about nothing. The show about nothing. It sure worked for Jerry Seinfeld. But will Justin Trudeau succeed after a campaign that many say was also about nothing? The critical thing was that they didn't define what the election was about. UBC political scientist Max Cameron says many British Columbians never bought Trudeau's argument about the necessity of an election now. And his hunch that if the Liberals were trying to replicate John Horgan's pandemic gamble of last fall, it may not be working the same way for them. We're still talking about it at the end of the campaign. I remember astute observers saying, if we're still talking about whether we should have an election at the end of this campaign, as we were at the beginning, that's trouble for, for the Liberals. This is, has absolutely been an election about nothing. BC pollster Kyle Braid says in the absence of a persuasive issue, the way things are stacking up, he thinks the Liberals will be fighting a rearguard battle in B.C. His numbers have them running third in the province behind the Conservatives and the NDP. 
and likely struggling to hang on to the seats they already have here. If you look at B.C., uh, when this election was called, this would be a place where they hope to pick up five or six seats, maybe get back to where they were in 2015. Uh, the chance of that happening evaporated almost immediately when the campaign began. And unlike many previous elections, when British Columbians found themselves mostly bystanders to the big eastern vote, ballots cast in the Pacific time zone could very well be consequential. Uh, it's great to be home. It's great to be home in B.C. One area to watch closely is the Tri-Cities region east of Vancouver, where polls show at least one riding in a three-way dead heat. A good reason to stay up Monday night for what may be our own version of must-see TV. Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, it is the eve of the vote, so naturally we have to hear from someone who's definitely staying up late tomorrow night. That's Keith Baldry. Keith, which ridings will you be watching tomorrow? Yeah, we've got 42 ridings in B.C., the outcome of which are fairly certain and predictable in the lion's share of them. But there's about 10 or 15 ridings that are fairly competitive from election to election. I'm not going to show all of them, but I picked four tonight that I think are going to have close outcomes. You heard Paul's reference to the Tri-Cities, because, yeah, there's going to be some tight battles there, because there was last time. Port Moody, Coquitlam, narrowly won by the Conservatives, Nellie Shin, by 153 votes. Right next door, Port Coquitlam, Coquitlam, or Coquitlam Park, sorry, Liberals there winning by less than 400 votes in 2019. The Greens in Nanaimo Ladysmith, historically that's an NDP riding, but the Conservatives are competitive there as well. And finally, really interesting one, Vancouver Granville, of course, left vacant by Jody Wilson-Raybould's Wilson decision to retire from politics. And again, that historically has been a Liberal riding in the past. But there's going to be some competitive ridings around the province, Jordan. I, again, it's going to be, I think, a late night tomorrow night, at least in B.C. The outcome may be decided by the time we get to BC, but perhaps we could be the kingmaker in terms of majority government, although polls are suggesting a minority one is most likely. All right. Whatever happens, we will have it covered right here on Global. Yep. Stick with us. Thanks, Keith. A reminder of what you can expect when heading to polling stations, which open at 7 tomorrow morning. Elections Canada will have a number of safety measures in place. When arriving at the polling station, you should be prepared for longer lineups than usual, since the number of people allowed inside will be limited. Voters will be required to wear masks unless you can prove a valid exemption. Sanitizing stations will also be set up with plexiglass barriers to separate voters and poll workers. There will also be increased cleaning of booths and high-contact surfaces. If you want to avoid being in a queue, avoid peak times. People should always expect a lineup on Election Day if they're there during the peak periods. It's well recognized that we are very busy when polls open in the morning. People like to stop by and vote on their way to work. We get busy again at lunchtime and busy again when people are on their way home from work. In Prince George, the new chair of the school district, Cheryl Warrington, is already facing criticism as she takes on her role following the resignations of two senior members of the school board. Shervo's Valley Mohammed and Trent Derrick stepped down as vice chair and chair respectively after a special advisor's report found anti-indigenous racism and a culture of fear in the district. But Valley Mohammed has already criticized Warrington and the new vice chair for being, quote, so colonial looking. In fact, we are. We are looked at as privileged white representative of a system that needs to be changed. And I respect the fact that 
people are able to say that and we are able to acknowledge that yes we are privileged we are representative of that colonial model and i am working very hard to look deeply inside myself and understand that i have a responsibility to address many of the wrongs that have happened over these years Warrington adds she looks forward to implementing the 45 recommendations contained in the advisor's report. To the Okanagan now, where a grisly discovery was made this morning, a woman's body was found on a street corner in Kelowna's Rutland neighborhood. Police were called to the intersection of Highway 33 and Nickel Road just after 7 o'clock. Investigators have determined her death is suspicious. Now officers are looking for witnesses as well as any dash cam or door cam video that might help provide some answers. The woman's identity is not being revealed, at least not yet. Burnaby RCMP have no one in custody following yesterday's shooting outside the arena formerly known as Eight Rinks. Mounties say a 33-year-old man suffered non-life-threatening gunshot wounds at about 4.30 Saturday afternoon in a side parking lot of Scotia Barn. Investigators believe the shooter fled in a dark SUV. They're calling the attack a blatant disregard for public safety, but they do not think it's connected to gang activity. Anyone with dash cam footage or information about the shooting is asked to call Burnaby RCMP. A call for the politicians to return to Vancouver City Hall. Just ahead on tonight's news hour, one councillor's push to resume in-person meetings and why she says it can be done safely. Plus, the dog owners who want dedicated space for their four-legged friends, their vision for Strathcona Park when we come back. Vancouver City Council is grappling with an issue many workplaces are also dealing with right now. When to return to in-person meetings? Well, one city councillor is now speaking out after learning the option for virtual council sessions could remain indefinitely. Amadagahi reports. When Vancouver City Council returns back to its meetings after a two-month summer break, one of the first items up for discussion is a report suggesting these elected officials be given the option to, in this capacity at least, work from home for the foreseeable future. I'm worried about the fact that there isn't a will to return to the council chambers, quite honestly. On Sunday, 48 hours before the first meeting back, which will be virtual, Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young issued a personal statement. Using the city of Surrey and Richmond for examples, she strongly believes Vancouver Council meetings should also already be happening in person. Our schools are back. Our universities are back. Our restaurant servers are working. Our community centre and library centre workers are there. Uh, and our small businesses are back working. So I don't see why council should be any different. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vancouver City Council meeting of Tuesday, March 10th. This was the last time all Vancouver City Councillors met in person, just weeks before the pandemic. And after seven months of audio-only meetings, they finally appeared on video in late 2020. This meeting uh, is convened by electronic means as authorized under Part 14. But many will tell you it has seldom been perfect. I hear dings and... Uh, various things going on. So. It's uh, We had some audio people in the uh, chambers yesterday trying to fix the audio there. Councillor Carr here, and I do hear it when you're speaking as well. They can't keep this terrible digital platform going. It's not working. They need to get back into person. They need to start doing their job. They need to start making decisions in public so people can hear it and see it and be a part of it. For the record, Kirby Young says she is fully vaccinated, and it should go without saying that 
There is no suggestion that if done right, an in-person council could break any COVID safety protocols. Leadership is about showing up um, and it's about modeling the behavior. And so if the provincial health officer has said that now this is the pandemic of the unvaccinated and we need to learn how to model that behavior and work with COVID-19 safely and in accordance with the provincial health guidelines. While meetings through the end of the month will stay virtual for sure, the city says the public can attend in person so long as they wear masks at City Hall. Amadagahi, Global News. East Vancouver's Strathcona Park went to the dogs today, some four months after a long-standing encampment was finally cleared. Sit. They are going crazy. The Park Board General Manager stopped for a portrait with her pooch at Strathcona's first dog inn. Donnie Rosa helped residents get their park back, but the neighborhood's main green space is still being rehabilitated after the almost year-long tent city. Dog owners gathered to let their furry friends play and partake in snacks and prizes while they pushed for the return of their off-leash area, which was recently taken away. This is our first ever dog in, and we're trying to shed light on the fact that we don't really have a place for our community to take their dogs for a run and for a walk. We definitely need a place for our dogs, an off-leash area in this park. So we'd like to ensure that, you know, if we do bring our dogs down to this park and they are running off-leash, that it's not being enforced. The community says it is negotiating with the park board over potential off-leash space for pets at Strathcona. In solidarity with Afghan athletes, just ahead, the British Columbians practicing a sport now banned by the Taliban and their plea to the Canadian government. Plus... Like, you get scared at the beginning, so you just have to believe in yourself. The Langley backyard where future ninjas go to learn their skills. That's later. Well, sports can be a powerful outlet, not just physically, but also politically. The women of Afghanistan know that all too well, and some of those who have escaped the Taliban are clinging to athletics as they work to free those still left behind in their homeland. Here's Global's Grace Key. At this dojo in Burnaby, for three Afghan women, there is laughter, (laughs) there is support, and there is freedom. Freeba Rozai made history in 2004 when she became one of two female athletes to represent Afghanistan in the Olympics. Death threats followed from fundamentalists and she went into hiding. But the sport is where she found her strength. Once you have control of your body and mind, you can lead your community. It's extremely powerful because we have seen impacts in each individual athlete in Afghanistan who played the sport. Freeba shared these pictures from Afghanistan taken a day before the Taliban took over the capital. The women are now in hiding and one in particular was to be made an example of. She was scheduled to be punished 100 time lashes in front of everyone publicly to send a message to the rest of the athletes. Luckily, we were able to uh, send her to safety, but she still remains in, in danger. Freeba moved to Canada with her husband as a refugee in 2011. She founded Women Leaders of Tomorrow, a nonprofit that provides education and athletic opportunities for females in Afghanistan. We remain firmly committed 
than ever because Afghan women need our support than before. We have our online classes. We are continuing. We are doing in a very safe way. Friba encourages local Afghan women to participate in judo, including Shakila Zareen, whose husband with Taliban ties shot her in the face. It's very empowering, and it's, I also practice for my self-defense. Uh, whenever I come to the dojo and practice, it gives me a sense of happiness and relaxation. Friba has this message to the federal government. To save the athletes who are who are in a grave danger these days, ease the immigration system, rules and regulation, create more support for the Afghan refugees. Grace Key, Global News. More than 250 Afghans arrived in Canada this weekend and will soon begin a new life. They arrived at Toronto's Pearson Airport Saturday afternoon via the U.S. Those on board included Afghan nationals and refugees, as well as interpreters and others who previously assisted Canadian forces during the mission in Afghanistan. The new arrivals will have to stay in COVID-19 quarantine before moving on to the communities they will call home. The Canadian government has promised to resettle 20,000 refugees from Afghanistan. In the Afghan capital, Kabul, women rallied outside the building that housed the country's women's affairs ministry before the Taliban takeover. The militant Islamist group has rebranded it the Ministry for Preaching and Guidance and the Propagation of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice. It is one of the latest moves raising concerns about the future of women's and girls' rights. Today, the Taliban-appointed interim mayor of Kabul told female city employees to remain home with the exception of those whose jobs could not be filled by men. The Taliban has also imposed measures limiting or preventing access to education for women and girls. Coming up, preparing for the possibility of the big one. We're not talking about the earthquake, but the inevitable wildfire on Vancouver's North Shore. The urban firefighters getting wildland training when the news hour returns. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Hot off the grill, results of the unofficial Burger Heaven election poll right after Yvonne's forecast. A major wildfire on the North Shore has long been a fear. Urban firefighters would likely get the initial call, and now they've been given some training on how to respond. Drones and helicopters, just two of the tools being used to expand the reach of the District of North Vancouver Fire Department. While the district says crews have a lot of experience dealing with building fires and interface fires where the forest meets homes, they're training to pack their gear so it can be hauled in by helicopters. And that allows firefighters to go deeper into the forest and attack fires before they become a problem in urban areas. For us, wildfire season is 12 months of the year um, because, as we've seen with this most recent wildfire season, if you're not preparing, training, and planning in those off-season months, uh, you will not be able to effectively respond when we're in the heat of it. And just before we get to Yvonne, it was definitely a dark and stormy night on the Lower Mainland last night. Burnaby fire crews were called to this house on Portland Street near Headley Avenue at around 7 o'clock after it was hit by lightning. The bulk of the home's chimney was blown apart and ended up on the back lawn. There was also some light smoke in the house, but fortunately no fire inside. The two residents were not injured. I 
had it once before in my career. Again, storms along here that produce lightning are rare, so not a common occurrence here for certain, but it's destructive when it does take place. Thunder and a whole lot of hail rolled into this Maple Ridge neighborhood. The resident who sent us this video says the skies were clear only five minutes earlier. Thunderstorms also rumbled over Coquitlam last night, bringing heavy rain and strong wind. Let's bring in Yvonne now. And it was about this time last night <laughs> we were in the studio and we could hear the thunder, Yvonne. Absolutely, we could see it. So I wanted to show what the satellite and radar looked at last night and we're actually tracking some thunderstorms this evening. We could see it, especially along the Tri-Cities. That's where we had the active weather last night. And then now look ahead and what we're seeing this evening and it's more towards the southwestern area, but we're still seeing a few isolated showers. The instability is there and we could still see the risk of a thunderstorm, so a heads up. Here's a look at what it looks like though. Overlook Looking English Bay, it's been a cool one today. Temperatures are currently sitting at 15 degrees, and we do have a southeasterly wind light off of the water at 6 kilometers per hour. So we still have a bit of instability. As we zoom on out, we're still tracking a few thunderstorms, isolated especially along the central interior and the southern half of the province. Now, in behind it, the next weather maker that is going to move in is going to move in and target the north and central coast or in the northern tip of Vancouver Island. Most areas across Metro Vancouver will be into a drying trend and will anticipate that for the beginning of back to work and school on Monday for the beginning of the week. Now, here's how the future cast is going to play out. That system is going to push in through the day tomorrow. Morning, we'll start to see that rain beginning, but it intensifies and some of the heaviest rainfall is going to move in towards the evening where we do have a rainfall warning. Terrace and Kitimat included within that. It's really along the north coast and inland areas. Terrace could see that range between 40 and up to 60 millimeters and Kitimat between 70 and up to 90 millimeters continuing through the evening hours for tomorrow and then tapering off to showers on Tuesday. So a heads up, big concern with a significant amount of rain, then that'll be along the northern half inland. So that rain does going to intensify, is intensifying rather through the day. The heaviest rainfall towards the evening with windy conditions, a few areas near the coast will slow those winds ramp up 40 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. Much of the central interior tomorrow will start to see an increase in cloud cover. And the southern interior tomorrow will see more of a clearing on the way towards the afternoon. Some breaks in there and temperatures bumping up uh, to closer to 18 degrees. Whistler will be a cool one, 11 as the high. And then along the south coast, it's really the island, the northern tip, that will be seeing some of the heavier rain inching in along the central half of the province. But for Metro Vancouver, it'll be a mainly cloudy sky. Heads up, though, when you're heading up for school, though. Dry conditions, so good news there. There. Temperatures will be up to 17 degrees. It's on Tuesday that we'll have more sunshine. That's one of the nicest days, Jordan, out of the bunch. And then on Wednesday, first day of fall, we are going to be looking at the chance for some showers and then rebounding. But a pretty pleasant forecast for Tuesday, especially with all that sunshine. Back to you. I'm smiling because it's my day off. Thanks, uh, Yvonne. <laughs> all right. On Monday, everyone will be able to have their say. But what does the bun predict about our next government? The 30th Bun election poll at Burger Heaven restaurant in New Westminster wrapped up on Saturday. Customers made their votes be known by voting for their favorite burger. And judging by the results, it is NDP with a runaway vote of 422. In second place are the Conservatives with 252, followed by the Greens at 237. The Bun decided was 129. As what I kind of thought in the beginning, it's going to be the NDP that's leading. The one that kind of surprises me, though, is the Conservatives taking second spot right now. And by a pretty decent lead of the uh, uh, Liberals. So it's a lot, uh, quite the contrast as it's been in the past. 
couple of years ago, uh, if I recall, I don't even believe the Conservatives got over 100 votes in the last uh, election. Any burger looks good. That's what I'm going to say. Let's bring in Barry DeLay now. It's a busy night in the sports department. You're keeping an eye on the Whitecaps. What else are you cooking up in sports? Lots going on, yeah. Whitecaps are uh, just on the field right now against uh, Colorado. It's rather early highlights of that. And the Seahawks uh, hadn't lost a home opener for a dozen years, which is the longest streak in the NFL. And it looked like they had it in the bag. But you know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Blew a big lead and lost in overtime. So highlights of that and a busy day in the NFL as well. All right, sounds good. Also coming up, preparing for the big night. How the results will get from the ballot box to your TV screen. We go behind the scenes of our election night coverage when the news hour returns. Your country, your choice. All the candidates, all the races, all the outcomes, all you need to navigate the 2021 federal election. Complete coverage starts at 5 p.m. Election Monday on Global News. So we're inside Studio One here at Global BC, and this is going to be our election night headquarters for Decision Canada. And if we swing over this way, we'll show you the centerpiece of the set. And it's this giant screen. It's 46 feet long and 12 feet high. I know that sounds really cool, and it is cool, but... Really, what does it all mean to the viewers? Well, I think you kind of have a, a multi-screen uh, experience, if you like. You can listen to us talking, and we'll have analysis um, of the results. You'll also constantly see the numbers and the writings on the screen, so behind us and on the, uh, on the screen. So you'll have many ways to kind of keep uh, up on the results as they come in. And Mercedes, you've been across the country during this campaign. What surprised you about this campaign? I, I think uh, what surprised me about this campaign is how close it's been, consistently. You keep thinking maybe someone is going to pull into the lead, and that really hasn't happened. Uh, we've also seen some other storylines we weren't expecting, the level of protests that we saw and anger out on the campaign trail, and certainly that storyline around the People's Party of Canada, which a lot of folks going into this had dismissed them as sort of a fringe, and now there's a possibility we'll see whether or not they're able to win some seats tomorrow night. So certainly uh, the closest election that I've ever covered. We're going to take you into the control room now for Decision Canada election night coverage. They've been busy doing rehearsals for a number of weeks, making sure everything works properly on Monday. The producers are going to be sitting up here, the technical crew in the front row, and the man in the hot seat, the man in charge of putting everything <laughs> on air, is Justin Minchel. How are you feeling? What's it going to be like tomorrow? Uh, it's been a really long road leading up to this. We've been rehearsing lots. This is our uh, automation switcher. So what happens here is all of the graphics and cameras and uh, pieces of video that we have, it all gets rolled through this piece of software here. Mel Bedford, all of this is very high tech, but we still rely on some low tech options for election night. Yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> I use a couple of these. They're manual stopwatches that count to 60 and the clock, it, the hand actually goes around. <laughs> Got the top of the clock, bottom of the clock. And then, of course, I have four of them on my cell phone, too, just in case. And you're monitoring what, about 20 cameras? Uh, yeah, we have about at least 20 sources that I'm looking at at all times and counting to each one. Uh, and then I have to count them when they're up and make sure they know that they only have, let's say, two minutes. And if they go over two minutes, they're going to hear from me. 
<laughs> Mel and Justin are the best in the business. Along with all the national results led by Donna Friesen and Mercedes Stevenson, be sure to stay tuned for detailed BC results with Sophie Louie and Chris Kalos. That's on Global BC, BC One, our website, and the Global BC Facebook page. Our coverage follows Global News at 5 and the News Hour right until 11.35 tomorrow night. Very Delay has sports after a break. Also coming up, the Langley Backyard coveted by Ninja Warriors. Global News in 980 CKNW, Where We Live series, celebrates all that makes Metro Vancouver great. Weekdays on Global News Morning, September 13th through the 26th. Brought to you by Concord Pacific, building communities together. Head to the North Point of Canada Place for World Maritime Day. On October 2nd, enjoy live music, performances, safe and distance fun activities, all to recognize the importance of the maritime security and the marine environment. Head to Thunderbird Show Park in Langley to see the very best in equestrian show jumping at the Longines FEI Jumping World Cup. Get tickets and information at tbird.ca slash tickets. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, let's see how the Whitecaps are faring. Barry's here with sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Whitecaps have been a little uh, out of sight, out of mind lately. Haven't yeah. played for nine days, but back at it tonight. Thanks, Jordan. The uh, Whitecaps trying to start a new unbeaten streak in MLS after their 10-game unbeaten streak was snapped by Portland last week. Whitecaps back on the road in Denver taking on the Colorado Rapids. The Rapids are a good team, third in the Western Conference. The Whitecaps have slipped to 10th, five points out of the uh, seventh and final playoff spot. Caps' first road game in about a month, and so far it's been uh, mostly Colorado. Michael Barrios in alone, beats Max Crepeau, but smashes it off the crossbar, remains nil-nil, but in the 28th, Colorado with the set piece. Nicely done here off the corner kick. Danny Wilson with the strong header. Puts it in, and it's 1-0 right now. Rapids late in the first half. The Seahawks have uh, one of the biggest home field advantages in the NFL. It's been that way for decades, so it was with open arms. They welcome back their fans for the first time since 2019 for their home opener today against the Tennessee Titans. Seattle looking for its 13th straight home opening win, the longest current streak in the NFL. And the crowd eagerly awaiting that first home game since late December 2019, Russell Wilson gives them uh, something to cheer about early, throwing another one of those rainbows to Tyler Lockett. We've seen this play between these two a couple times this year. 51-yarder led to a Seahawk field goal. Second quarter tied at three. Titans knocking on the door, but Bobby Wagner sacks Ryan Tannehill. Titans settle for a field goal and led 6-3, but the Seahawks go right back in front. Wilson going deep again to Lockett. Makes the catch, some shoddy tackling there, and he is off to the races. 63-yard touchdown, Seattle back in front, 10-6. Now more from the defense. Alton Robinson with the big hit on Tannehill. The ball is loose. Kerry Hyder jumps on it. Seahawks ball at the Tennessee 6. And just two plays after that, Chris Carson runs it in from two yards out. 24-9 Seahawks at the half, and their 70-year-old head coach, Pete Carroll, like he needs to jack up that crowd even more. But he was excited. They played great, but it was a tale of two halves. Third quarter, 
Titans get into the end zone for the first time. Derrick Henry, such a load to bring down. Powers his way in to make it 24-16. In the fourth, Hawks looking to get back on track, and they do. Third and long, Freddie Swain wide open. Where's the coverage? Big defensive breakdown, 68-yard touchdown. They missed the extra point, and oh, would that come back to haunt them. 30-16, but the Titans answer, and it's that man again, Derrick Henry. He weighs 247, but he's got great speed, takes it to the outside, a 60-yard touchdown dash. Seahawk lead down to seven, under a minute to go. Titans knocking on the door from the one-yard line, and it's Henry plowing in for his third touchdown, ties it 30-30, and we need overtime. Both teams punted on their first possession, second crack at it. Titans for the win. It's Randy Bullock, who just joined the team this week. From 36 yards, and it's good, and the Titans overcome a 15-point halftime deficit to stun the Hawks 33-30. Seattle was 52-0 at home and leading by 14 or more at the half. That streak ends. Seahawks now 1-1. Well, the NFC West is stacked this year. The Rams and the Colts. Fourth quarter, the Indy defense coming up big. Matthew Stafford, or actually it's on the punt here, the uh, Ashley hit the leg of the guy who was going to block, so a bizarre play, and the Colts lead uh, 21-17. But Matt Stafford and the Rams respond, 10 yards to Cooper Cup, and the Rams hang on 27-24, and they go to 2-0 atop the NFC West. 49ers also on the road in Philadelphia. This one wasn't pretty, but the Niners got the job done. Jimmy Garoppolo will zip the 11-yard touchdown pass to Jawan Jennings. San Francisco wins at 17-11, so they also go to 2-0, joining the Rams. Now, the Cards trying to join that 2-0 at the top of the division. They had a tougher test, though, against the Vikings, a wild first half. Kyler Murray escapes the pressure, then on the run, throws a strike to Rondale Moore. He takes it all the way, 77-yard touchdown, 24-23 at the half for the Cardinals. Third quarter, Murray with his third touchdown pass of the game to A.J. AJ Green, who dives in for the touchdown as the Cards edge the Vikings 34-33. They, like everyone in the NFC West, except the Seahawks, are 2-0. Raiders and Steelers from Pittsburgh. Steelers needed a spark in the fourth quarter, and they get it from Abbotsford's Chase Claypool. Another fantastic catch by Claypool, then gets up, gets more yards. 52-yard gain on that play led to a Steeler touchdown. Chase three catches for 70 yards on the day, but the Steelers did get within two, but credit the Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr to Henry Ruggs for a 61-yard touchdown bomb. Raiders go to 2-0 as they upset the Steelers. 26-17 in Pittsburgh. HSBC Rugby Sevens from BC Place. Canada's women lost its semifinal to the USA. Took on a very weak Mexican side in the third place game. Canada blows out Mexico 48-0 to finish third. Once again, this event being used as a chance for the next wave of young players to get some international experience for Canada. Men's side, Canada 2-1 record yesterday. Got them into the cup quarters versus Great Britain this morning. Victoria's Jack Carson Turns 20 on Wednesday. Just a kid. Nice uh, early present here, scoring the try. But all Great Britain after that. Jamie Farndale will pull away and go all the way for the score or try here as Britain win 31-5. Canada ended up sixth. They beat Spain but lost 26-7 to the U.S. in the fifth place game. South Africa won the cup final over Kenya and the series moves to Edmonton next week. 
Blue Jays, Jays and Twins, Toronto uh, getting off to the quick start in this one. Bottom of the first, already one nothing. Bo Bichette slams his 26th home run, now up to 97 RBI. 3 nothing Jays, they weren't done yet in the first. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., base hit to right center. Jays had seven straight hits in the inning, scored five runs and led 5 nothing, And that stood up. Another strong start by the former twin, Jose Barrio, struck out six over six and two-thirds. Jays take it 5-3. They remain one game back of Boston for the wild card spot for the first wild card. They lead the Yankees for the second wild card by a game and a half. Two weeks to go in the MLB season. Premier League, Man United at West Ham. That little boy looking for a souvenir from Ronaldo probably has to just settle for another Ronaldo goal. All he's done is produce since he's gotten there. That's his fourth goal in three matches with United. Evens it at one. But they would need some late heroics from Jesse Lingard, who bags the winner on a fantastic strike. Two won the final. United four wins and a draw through five EPL matches this young season. Tied atop the table with Liverpool and Chelsea. And PGA Tour from the Napa Valley, California. Final round of the Fortinet Championship. Max Homa. Second shot on the par 4 12th from the rough. Sometimes a little good fortune makes you a big fortune, as in about 1.3 million. Homa will hold this for an eagle, and that was the difference as he won at 19 under par, his third PGA Tour win. Surrey's Adam Svensson finished tied 51st at 4 under. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford tied 64th. And that is it for sports. All right, thanks, Barry. We will be right back with what might be Langley's coolest backyard. Stay with us. country your choice all the candidates all the races all the outcomes all you need to navigate the 2021 federal election complete coverage starts at 5 p.m election monday on global news outdoor personal space has been highly coveted especially during the pandemic but for nearly a decade a langley backyard has been overtaken by an obstacle course that only a ninja warrior could love Jay Durant has more in tonight's edition of This is BC. Good. Gyms were packed pre-pandemic as shows like American Ninja Warrior inspired a new type of athlete. Swing surfer. Two transfers. But one backyard in Langley became a training ground for ninjas of all ages. And this lane goes from here over to the cone here. Tristan Kazmer has been building up this course for the past nine years and it absolutely crushes any playground monkey bars. It just started rolling and more wood came in and bags of concrete. The Kazmer setup has helped boost the local grassroots ninja community. There are no spotlights, commentators or commercial breaks, but this is still an officially certified qualifying course. Yeah. Nice. We want the skill level requisite to be about the same, where you have to have the strength, you have to have the coordination, you have to have the timing and the thoughtfulness about how you're going to run a course. 
COVID canceled many of their events, but for the first time in more than two years, the Backyard Ninjas are back for a competition, taking on the challenge and building some confidence because there will be some slips. Before the course, I just like, you know, talking to my friends, the people who have already gone, I like asking them how it went, how scary it was. Oh, no. <laughs> like, you get scared at the beginning, so you just have to believe in yourself. Local athletes have done well at major international competitions. Most go, recently, go, go, go. three of the top five finishers on the amateur men's side were from BC. Wow. And the training will continue in this backyard, which may mean some discussions over use of space. Did you ever think maybe you should have just put in a pool? Yes, all the time I think. A pool would just be easier, and then it would just be pool parties. As long as I don't keep going too much further into the backyard, I'm sure there's a, a tipping point where it'll be no more, no more obstacles. Jay Durant, Global News. Whoa. Well, at least he doesn't have a lawn to mow anymore. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Mm, I think I'd prefer to be an armchair. <laughs> I think so. Those a lot kids easier are on the back. You yeah, notice those sure. kids are all light, you know. Yes. A big difference. It'd be difficult. For sure. <laughs> uh, Vaughn, possibility of a few more thunder showers this evening? Yeah, so this evening we've been tracking them. We still have a slight risk. Showers will be there, and then an ice break is on the way. A drying trend. We are going to see a fair bit of cloud cover, however, through the day, but it's going to be a dry start. For those who are going to get out and vote tomorrow, mm -hmm. uh, temperatures will be bumping up to 17 degrees. Plenty of sunshine on Tuesday. Our first day of fall, although it's already felt like it, uh, but that'll be officially on Wednesday, and then it should rebound once again for Thursday, Friday. But dry, mainly cloudy for tomorrow and highs closer to 17. Good to hear. And yes, a reminder, polls open 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. tomorrow. Full coverage here on Global BC. That is tonight's news hour. Thanks for watching. We're all back at 11. Hope you can join us then. Good night.